Yeah, actually, um, Lou, more than Russ, are my, is my connection with uh, Newmark, with, sorry, with Canada. And actually, I was here in this church in June 2011. And I wasn't sure it was the church, and I saw that room over there, and I knew I was in that room on an Old Testament something study, men's study, or I don't know. I have no idea. I was here brought by Lou. I was jet lagged and I was part of a fellowship and it was, uh, it was a long time ago. But anyway, um, I've been working with Lou in Romania with Campus Crusade for many years and then we've um, taught together leadership uh, in the last maybe 10 years or so. So my connections are more with Lou in the past and currently I've been uh, on staff in uh, Newmarket at Grace for um, less than two years. So I'm kind of fresh to Canada. I moved here in uh, January of uh, 2015. So, sorry if my English is not as uh, good. It's not my first language, so that's my caveat. If I make some mistakes, uh, take them with a grain of salt. Uh, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. But anyway, uh, I'm married. I have uh, one wife, according to the Bible. Uh, <laughs> first Timothy 3, husband of one wife. So, She's uh, Anna. She's uh, right now taking her, no, studying for her G2 license. She's not yet driving in Canada, so she knows she must have a son who's uh, 13. Uh, his name is Matei. Um, English would be Matthew, but that's uh, Romanian spelling. And my daughter, she's 16, going on a lot more. Um, <laughs> Emma, uh, she's uh, grade 11 in, uh, in, so she's in high school. So um, born and raised in Romania, like I said. Bucharest was uh, for 40 five years, my hometown. I've uh, become a Christian only at 23. Uh, I was uh, raised in a communist country, obviously, as you know, um, nothing to do with God in, in my environment. So I uh, had no clue about the Bible, God, church, other than funerals and weddings, uh, if, even if there. Um, so Easter and uh, Christmas was just time to eat lots of pork and uh, lots of uh, wine. You don't eat, drink wine. I, not much. I wasn't much of a drunkard, but uh, that was it. You know, I remember my first time I actually drank wine with my dad together was at Easter. So that was Easter for me, food and stuff. Um, but in 2000, sorry, in 1993, I met something. I met a group of youth, Christian youth that were playing ball every Saturday. And um, they never preached to me using their words, but uh, their lives just made me jealous. They had joy and hope and uh, uh, a reason to live that just just strange to me. So that's when I actually began to understand that there is more to life than just uh, just what I had before. So anyway, that was back in 2000, no, 1993, long time ago. Became a Christian, and um, like um, you know, I never like stuff that's diluted. So I like espresso, not. North American coffee. <laughs> so as soon as I'm a Christian, I was not happy with just Sunday morning. I began to study and read a lot just because I wanted to know as much as I could, as, uh, as quick as I could. So uh, um, you couldn't, you didn't have many uh, resources back in Romania. So my, my favorite book by Seba was Thesen's Lectures on Theology. I remember when that, it was the only one in Romanian at that time back in 93. So I had those two books, the Bible and Thesis Theology, in my backpack for many years. Um, went to Bible school in 95, got married in 97, um, became uh, involved in ministry as soon as, uh, probably earliest was 95. Uh, served as a, uh, as a senior pastor from 98 to uh, 2015, actually. I moved from there to here, so... Now I'm a pastor of Sunday Ministries at Grace, so I oversee grade 6 to 26. I mean, 26 of age. Um, so 
It's, uh, it's been uh, a pleasure to serve there and to be in Canada. I love Canada. I love driving here. I love uh, the Muskokas. I love the lakes. I love the food. I like poutine. And <laughs> most of all, pancakes with bacon. <laughs> but that's not why I'm here. So that's uh, just a nutshell about myself. Um, but that's not the reason we're here. So um, the reason we're here is, is we, we want... <clears throat> We want God to speak to us. It's been 21 years since my first sermon. I'm still nervous, so I'll, I'll get over it. You all know a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I forgot if it's on the PowerPoint. It might be, but I'm not sure. Um, when Paul speaks about his uh, finishing, uh, finishing his race, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Awesome verse. You know, we all, I mean, I guess most of us all will want to say those words one day and hear the words from our Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my dream. But not every day I can say those words. Some days are just more of a struggle because, you know what? Failure is a reality. We have it in our lives. It's, it's part of who, I mean, it's part of my life. Maybe you're better than I am, but... I've tasted failure more than I wanted to, and uh, it's not a good taste. But even then, we can and we should learn from our failures. And better yet, we should learn and uh, learn from the failures of others. That's much easier to learn from others' failures. Uh, because the Bible is, is honest, sometimes brutally honest, about our human nature and our propensity to do foolish things. It's, for most of us, the question of failure is not of if but of uh, when. And I want to open up God's Word today with, uh, with you in fellowship and just learn from some of the mistakes of God's people and in that process, draw nearer to God. Or as James put it, to humble ourselves before, as I mean, the sight of the Lord, and He will lift us up. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today in humbleness, knowing that nothing I say is of worth unless you speak through me. So I pray that you open my heart first and speak to me first, but then you speak to us all. So as we look into your word, we draw near to you, and we, we get to love you more, and we get to shine with your light more. So I pray that you speak to us again, Lord, and change our lives. Amen. Our text is 1 Samuel chapter 4. If, you're any, if you know Pastor Lou, um, you know he loves the Old Testament, and he loves the stories, he loves to teach that, and he's been... The first time I got in touch with him, with Pastor Lou was uh, in Romania when he was preach, I'm sorry, teaching the Old Testament. That was his translator. So for, I don't know, 98 to through 2005, 6, 7, we've been doing that pretty much once a year. So I've got to, I've, I had, we had lots and lots of long discussions about the Old Testament with him. And indeed, actually, I began to teach with him part of the courses and Samuel was part of the slot allotted to me. Uh, it was Jane, uh, sorry, Joshua, uh, Samuel, Judges, and Ruth were my books I used to teach with, uh, with Pastor Lou. So I like these passages a lot. But what is the context? First Samuel 4 is right at the end of the times of Judges, which was not a fun time in the life of Israel. You know, if you know the book of Judges, uh, it began bad and ended even worse. You know, it began badly with the people of Israel in chapter 1, that phrase that comes up 11 times, they did not cast out, or whatever the word is, 
the people from the land. They failed to remove the people from the land 11 times. They did not do their job. So because the people stayed there, they corrupted them. And chapter 2 of of Judges says that the new generation was raised up, which knew not neither, neither the Lord nor what he did for Israel. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's chapter 10 verses, sorry, chapter 2 verses 10, 11, around there somewhere. Point is, they forgot who their God is. And they went from, uh, from, from bad to worse. And if you know Judges, you know, six cycles of going through sinning before God, getting punished by God through the nations, crying for a Savior, a Savior is, is being sent, and then they have peace in the land for X amount of years, and then again they sin before God. And at the end, uh, the phrase that comes up uh, four or five times in Judges uh, 17, 20, what, one? I think to the end of the book. It's, uh, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as they saw fit. Not, not very nice times for them. Dark and godless time in the history of the nation, but also time of the spirit. You can see a lot of uh, the Spirit of God moving in the people, through the people, in mighty ways in, in uh, Judges and in Samuel too. At this time, Samuel is the last of the judges of Israel. Eli is the high priest, and his son, um, his sons are uh, serving as priests also, uh, Hophni and um, Phineas. Uh, if you have kids, my, I mean, you also watch a lot of Phineas and Ferb, and it's always a struggle to call them Hophni and Phineas. Uh, and obviously they had lots of enemies, uh, which at this time were the Philistines, uh, people from northern, uh, actually south of Europe, so north of Israel, but south of Europe. They moved there and established uh, about five cities, five strong cities, and they were a very worry. I mean, they're, it's people, a nation of warriors, uh, the Philistines, and it's warriors with A, not O. Uh, and they went against Israel not once but many times. They were main, main enemies of them. At this time in chapter 4, uh, Eli is old. His sons are um, high, I mean, priests, but they're very bad priests. If you read chapter 2 of 1 uh, Samuel, you know they were stealing from God's offerings, and they were basically uh, just stealing from God, and they were doing it without any remorse. And um, the nation stands against their enemies. Let's read chapter 4, verses, uh, first few verses. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at, in Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array uh, to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of the men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And we'll stop there. So, you see, God is doing something. I mean, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he spoke to the land. It was sounded like, almost like a good news. Uh, they, again, they had, all, they had the word of God with them. They had uh, God's presence with them. They had Samuel with them. So it seemed that it worked fine. So when they um, fought against the Philistines, they probably thought they had a chance. But it takes more to defeat the enemies of God than just uh, having Samuel speaking something to them. Their state at that time was so bad that God was not with them. If you read, if you read Deuteronomy, you know, Deuteronomy 28 especially says, if, I, if you follow me, I will bless you, and no one can stand against you. 
if you don't follow me, if you disobey me, you will suffer the consequences. And that's what happens here. They thought that having the name of God amongst them was enough to defeat the enemies. It was not. 4,000 people died on that day on the battlefield. And they asked a good question. Why did the Lord defeat us? So kind of a ray of hope about their perspective, knowing that God is the one who defeated them. But that ray of hope is quickly put out by their next choice, because they say this. Let us take to ourselves, let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come amongst us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. They said, okay, we have, we have a tool, we have a weapon that can, we can bring with us, and that will guarantee victory for us. We'll bring the Ark, and it says in, in my Bible here, I have NASB, it says, uh, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come amongst, the, amongst us and deliver us from our enemies. They thought the Ark would deliver them from their enemies. So we come to their second defeat. They brought the Ark. You know, why the Ark? Why this idea? Why bring the Ark? You know, that was actually not a bad thing because in the past, the Ark went before them when they had victories. It was not unusual. In Numbers, if you know, if you remember the book of Numbers, chapters 1 through 10, um, they are instructed by God to march having the Ark in front of them. It was not unusual. When they crossed the Jordan, the Ark went first. So having the ark with them was not a bad idea in and of itself. It's just the ark by itself with no God's presence and no, God, no, no obedience to God was useless. Because at this point, the ark is what Paul would call a form of godliness, but with no power. So they suffered the, uh, another defeat. But besides just bringing, the idea of bringing the ark for it to give them victory, who was in charge? Hophni and Phineas, you know? I mean, those two, that's the best they could do. I'm not thinking about happens, what happens south of the, of the border here, but Hophni and Phineas were not priests of God. I think it's verses 12 of chapter 2, if I remember correctly. Yep. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord or the customs of the priests with the people. I mean, for the Bible to call you worthless men. I mean, you can use, I mean, that's NASB. Our translation use different words, but they're just as bad as this one. And those two guys were in charge. So their perspective about the ark was wrong. The people in charge were not the right people. And, I mean, if they were the right people, they would have known that using the ark in the wrong way was not the thing to do. But they didn't. They just went. Uh, and brought the ark, and, you know, as they say in... Uh, so my friends would say that they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. 30,000 people were killed because scared Philippines are still Philistines. Scared Philistines are still strong Philistines if God is not with you. You know, 30,000 soldiers are killed. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God is taken. Five times, you read that chapter, five times this phrase comes up. The ark was taken. Very important for them, and it's gone. Eli's sons are dead. Eli himself is, uh, is dead. And that, that whole story about him falling down and breaking his neck because he was too fat was, if you want, if Pastor Lou would say that's for sure, it's a play on words because the word fat and the word glory 
are identical in Hebrew. So it's a blame word for the author. His fatness killed him because he did not honor his Lord. The daughter-in-law, like uh, it was mentioned before, gives birth uh, before she actually uh, dies herself to a, uh, a son named, that she names Ichabod, which means, where is the glory? And she says in that moment, glory, the glory of God has departed. Or actually, in Hebrew says, she says, the glory was exiled. 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 Exactly what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 78. God took his glory away from the house of Shiloh. Read Psalm 78, verses 55 through uh, 60, Psalm 65 again, uh, for another perspective of, of that time, from God's perspective, actually. But anyway, defeat is defeat is defeat. What were they thinking? You know, you kind of ask yourself, what were they thinking? You know, when you, side, when you sit on the sidebar, you know, when you're on bleachers, it's easy to look at the, uh, I mean, the, um, the coach and to ask him, what are you thinking? You know, or the players and stuff. But we have that, that advantage here to just sit on the pews and ask ourselves, what were they thinking? I mean, bringing the glory, uh, sorry, bringing the ark, you know, that was a good idea, actually. Like I said, the ark was, actually Moses told them, bring the ark before you, and you will be led to victory by God, not by the ark. The ark was just a symbol. Numbers, uh, numbers 1 through 10, 10 chapters about how to march. Remember, you march with God's ark in front. God will always lead you. When they set camp, what was in the center of the camp? The ark of the covenant was in the center of their life when they camped. So when they moved, when they stayed, God was always the one either leading or in the center of their lives. So their idea was good. Or they could have thought of Joshua 3 and 4 when they just were about to enter the, land, the promised land and the ark was the one that passed first through the dry land, through, the, through Jordan. That was, that was, uh, the authors were part and the ark went first. And they know the victory they got at, uh, at uh, Jericho in chapter 6. When, again, praising God. The ark, I'm not sure if God's ark was there, but uh, God brought them victory in a magnificent way without them having to uh, pull their, sword, their swords out. What they forgot was chapter 7 of Joshua when uh, Achan's sin brought the whole nation to defeat. That part they seemed to have forgotten. So they tried what I would call a copycat attempt. They tried to imitate what their... Um, forefathers had with God victory and, and glory and presence and being a mighty nations, nation, they tried to imitate that, missing one key component, obedience to the Lord. That's what he required them, you know. They tried this, and they thought that the ark is almost like, like a charm, like a lucky rabbit foot, I think you say. Yeah, something like that. You know, we bring the ark, we're good. You know, I had for many years, I had um, in my travel kit, I carried a comb. Comb, comb? For many years. My wife said it's an act of faith. <laughs> Until one day I just took, I mean, having a comb in comb, comb whatever you say, that word, in, uh, in my, my travel kit did not do me any good, you know. I, you know, I can go, I can go boldly anywhere I can go, you know. <laughs> let's, let's read what God says about this attitude of theirs. Oh boy, too many papers. Psalms 78, 
verses uh, 60, 60 through 61. He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh, the tent he had set up amongst humans. He sent the ark of his might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of the enemy. He did it. God did it. God saw them. God saw their hearts, and they, they reaped uh, the consequences. In spite of the wickedness and their unchanged hearts, they thought they could coerce God into doing something that they wanted by a simple possession of, and manipulation of the symbol of his presence. And they failed. And they tasted that, victory, that, that defeat. Why do they fail? You know, just as you look into the, into this text and read um, this is Psalm 78 or maybe Jeremiah chapter 7, which is similar, you know for, for sure that their hearts were wrong. Their lives were not in obedience. That's number one. Their lives were not in obedience to God. Their hearts were not right before God. Obedience is, is so often, I mean, it's so important for receiving what God has for you. You know, we all want to be friends of God. You know, there's um, songs about God's friendship and um, some, some songs I would not even sing because they're too... Um, I'm not going there. I want to be a friend of God. John, I could be wrong, but I think it's John 15, 14 says, you are my friends. Sounds awesome, eh? Sounds great. But it doesn't stop there. You are my friends if you do what I command. Obedience. It's at the key of having friends with God and receiving God's blessing upon your life. So they didn't have that. Their attitude towards God and the ark were again wrong. So their attitude was not right either. They tried to manipulate God into, uh, into that battle. They thought they can have success without change or form without the substance. And they forgot that spiritual blessings and victories always came through a continually renewed or refreshed uh, connection with God. You know, these passages, actually, these this books of the Bible, um, Joshua, Judges, uh, Samuel, uh, and Kings, Ruth not, but Kings too, you know, the Jews actually call them prophetic books. For them, these are the first prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Why? Because they take the book of Deuteronomy and use it as a lens towards uh, throughout their history saying, have we obeyed God or not in our history? That's the lens they look at these uh, moments here, this time, these events here. Do we obey God's word or not? It's called, you know, in uh, Pastor Lou's word, deuteronomistic history. <laughs> history with a purpose. History that re should reflect obedience to what God said. And they had not obeyed God. They had the wrong focus. They remembered that in the past, the presence of the ark meant victory. They wanted to live in the past blessings and the past victory, trying, thinking that the presence of that symbol would be enough. Living in the past without a strong present, without a, a, how say, without a committed present, is nothing. Good memories are just that, good memories. And again, besides having the wrong heart, the wrong attitudes, the wrong focus on the past, the wrong people were involved. You know, I mean... Phineas and Hophni, really? <laughs> We're not going there. You can read First Samuel one, uh, chapter 2 to read more about those 
worthless people, which they put in charge of their uh, the nation. The biggest question now is, so what? Okay, we saw their failures. We saw their being defeated. We saw their what was wrong with them. So what? How does that apply to us today? First of all, I want to start with encouragement. An apparent victory of the evil one is just that, apparent. I don't think it's on the screen. If you want to read more about God being sovereign, despite any of any of our current experiences, just read chapter 5. If you like, you know, um, severed limbs and severed heads, stories kind of thing, read chapter 5. You know, God is always in charge and nothing can mock God. If you want to see victory coming from obedience, read chapter 7 of, of, of 1 Samuel. God spoke through, to them. They feared and obeyed God and God gave them victory. And this story goes on and on and on through the Bible. Apparent victory of the evil one is just that, apparent. So if, if you think right now, if you see or feel or experience defeat, it's not long term. It's not definite. It's not what defines you. Because obedience can bring a change right away. A classic of Christian music uh, once uh, said in a song, you may be a thousand steps away from God, but back to him is just one step. It's one of the early albums of Petra that had that song in it. And it's, it's reality. Back to God is just one step, even if you feel that you're like a thousand steps away from him. Or as uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, uh, saw once, said once, the storm that you go through has a bit in its mouth, and God is in control. They failed because their hearts were wrong, their attitudes were wrong, their focus was wrong, the people who were involved were wrong, and we sometimes do the same thing. We forget to obey God. We put our hearts and eyes on the past and we forget that present matters as much as, as much as the past. God says change, we say uh or no. You know, God says go there, we say not now, later. Or whatever that the former shape is, we sometimes disobey God. And disobedience has consequences. I mean, we won't probably be invaded by, uh, by Philistines, but we will suffer the consequences of our disobedience. In, I don't know. God will not punish us. Don't think that way. The consequences of disobedience usually are just God's way of drawing our attentions, attention back to him. It's not punishment. Okay? But God wants us to change our hearts. That's number one. If you want to see victory in your life, it has to start with a right heart that has obedience at the center. Remember John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I say, if you obey my commandments. Proper forms and proper symbols, the right hymns and the right uh, buildings and colors and all that, they're great. But they're not guarantees of victories. Proper hearts and proper attitudes are a guarantee of God's blessing in your life. The promise of victory is there for us. You know, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. So, if you see defeat in your life or somebody's life or if you've experienced, tasted it and experienced it, it's not, it's nothing but temporary or apparent. God is still in control. God is still sovereign. And God says, 
change your heart. Make it right with me. Learn or start to obey what I have told you. Second thing is, become the right people. I mean, Hophni and Phineas were bad to the core, you know? And we were that way one some someday in the past. I mean, I can still remember my days before I became a Christian, and they were not good days. You know, I did what people did back in the you know early 90s, late 80s, and it was, you know, peer pressure many times, but it was bad stuff, you know? And I don't, I don't want to dwell on that. The thing is, God changed me. God saw who I was. And in my, my wretchedness, God says, I want that kid. And God took hold of my heart and changed me. So past failures should not define who you are. Past sins, and even sometimes present sins, should not define who you are because back to God is just one step. It's not from the Bible, but it's true. <laughs> you must be holy people to serve in God's army. Before Joshua 7, sorry, 6, the great victory at Jericho, you know what happened? Joshua 5 happened. And three things happened in Joshua 5. That's a whole sermon by itself. I'll be, I'll be brief. They were circumcised which meant they enter into covenant with God. The army of God had to be circumcised first before they fought God's battle. Two, they celebrated uh, Passover. Dedication to God, devotion to God. And third thing, Joshua himself was met by an angel. And he had to choose whom to follow, his own will or God's will, or God's direction if you want. So in chapter 5 of Joshua, they put the foundation of chapter 6 by dedication, by devotion, and by direction from the Lord. And that's how they got that awesome victory. So be the right people. Give your heart to God and be the holy nation that God wants you. I think it says there, yeah, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's the second step. And you know what? That's a lifelong process. It's not just a one thing. You know, I come to church on Sunday, you know, I have the holiness session from 1 to 5, and I go home holy, and I'm holy for the rest of my life. No, it's a, it's a daily thing. Pick up your cross every day and follow Him. If it's hard, do it with someone else. Find a, find, a, find a companion, find a partner that can do it with you. Not for you, but with you. Because sometimes in two, it's, I mean, read Ecclesiastes, you know, the, what's the thing? Rope with three strands is, no, I'm, you know the verse. I know it in Romanian, so my mind is it's, it's trying to translate now. It's easier when you're together with someone. If there are three strands, it stands stronger. You, a friend, and God, that can go a long distance. So be the right people. Three, have the right focus, you know? Past is awesome. We can learn from our past. We can remember that we are called to remember our past. We are called to not forget our past. You know why did the nation of Israel did so bad? I have no idea what time it is. Have I? No. Okay. The whole nation did wrong before God because they forgot who God was. They forgot who God, what God did for them. Second, sorry, Judges, second chapter, verses ten and, and on. They forgot, they forgot, they forgot. So past is awesome. It can and it will teach us great lessons. But don't dwell in the past. Past without a godly present present means nothing. 
Sometimes we just enjoy what used to be, you know. Are you guys um, Leafs fans? Anyone? You know, 1968 rings a bell. Fans are, I mean, Leafs are fans are Leafs fans for, for life, you know, but 1968, just stopping there. Learn from the past. Dedicate your present. Look forward to what God will do through you and in you in the future. Have the right focus. And in the end, have the right attitude. God, sorry, too early. We don't control God. Never, ever. God is the one who is in control. Don't ever try to manipulate God saying or thinking that you, you can or you would be or you should be in control. He's not. And he will show you on and I mean, he's got this weird sense of weird, a proper sense of humor. Uh, by, and he will show you when you're too proud. I mean, he will show you. I mean, I grew up as a very shy and the greatest fear I've ever had in my life was public speaking. And guess what God called me to do? I mean... Doesn't get any better than that. Anyway, we're close to the end. That will stay there because that's the last slide, I think. But if you live today in victory, praise God. If you can say today what Paul said so many years ago, uh, I have finished the race. I have, I have misplaced my notes. <laughs> Sorry. I have fought the fight, the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Faith. If you can say that, that's awesome. Enjoy that day. Enjoy, enjoy today. Live in victory and, and be a model, a role model to others. That's awesome. Be that person all the, day, all the days of your lives. But if you're like me and you've tasted defeat, also take heart. That's not what defines you. You know, that's not who you are. I never thought I could fail as a, as a pastor. You know, I had... Great history back in Romania, great uh, moments to treasure, uh, many lives that God just allowed me to influence and impact. And with a strong conviction that failure is not an option, I came to Canada two years, less than two years ago, last, last February, to serve God. And as I came here, God in his loving mercy gently touched me with a two-by-four this year and showed me that I have not trusted him. I've trusted my strength and my experience and my past and my learning and my whatever, but not him. And the verse that was given to me this year was, be still and know that I am God. Trust and obey. That's the theme for my year today. I mean, for this year, trust and obey. You know, failure, sorry for my French, sucks. It's, it's hard to be down there, but you know what? I've grown a lot. This past, I don't know, six, seven months or so, have been a great, great blessing for me, for my wife, for my kids, because I've changed. Learning that I'm not as good as I thought I was and being humbled by God in, in ways I did not even expect, it hurt, really hurt. But you know what? The end result is it's worth it. But also in these times when I've tasted God's reminder of who I am actual on the inside, I've also tasted God's grace. I've seen his love and I've seen his mercy. And his message to me, and not probably not just to me, is you are not a failure. 
may, you may have tasted failure, you may have been there, maybe, maybe you're today, but that doesn't define who you are. You are a child of God even if you failed. You are loved even if you failed. You're loved and sanctified in your work in progress in the hands of the Master. And that's what we need to remember. Change our hearts. Look at your hearts and change them. Look at your attitudes. Get the right focus and be the right person. Because failure does not define us. God is who God is all who defines us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder today that we are fallible persons when we stray away from you. That we can do nothing that if, if Christ is not in us and if we are not abiding in Christ. So my prayer today is, Lord, that we again learn to abide in you. To abide in your love and abide in your word, abide in your presence. And by doing that, we would see fruit coming because of you. Not because of us, of, of us knowing or doing or, or being something, but just because you are the true vine. My prayer for myself and for all of us here is that as we live today, we put failure behind us. We remember that you love us despite of our failures, past or present, and you call us to a different life, a higher life, a life of a victor, a life defined by who you are in us and by who we are in you. So I pray that we remember this today and we again find rest in you. Whether we are, if we are weary and heavy laden, we come to you and we get the rest that only you can give us, Lord. I pray for that rest for all of us today. Amen.